Good morning. Welcome to Bethany Lutheran Church here in Warren, Oregon. Today I'm preaching from the 16th chapter of Matthew, verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's time for a break. Jesus has been preaching, teaching, healing, prophesying, and feeding thousands upon thousands. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are harassing him. And his disciples are proving to be a bit slow on the uptake. So Jesus takes his disciples and travels away from Jerusalem to the northernmost part of Canaan, to the area of Caesarea Philippi. Now, we know by now that nothing Jesus does is unintentional. This is, the most, this is a mostly Gentile territory. And it is an ancient Greek worship center for the god Pan. The area is littered with temples of Syrian gods. And there was an elaborate marble temple erected by Herod the Great in honor of Caesar Augustus. It is in this setting that Jesus asks his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now in courts of honor, it's a rule to distinguished men by their highest titles. For example, think of Barack Obama. Now he was a senator for the state of Illinois before he became president of the United States, but he's always referred to as past president Obama. However, Christ, upon humbling himself to live the life of a human, even though he was and is the son of God, identifies himself with the title of the Son of Man. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples reply, well, you know, some say John the Baptist and, and others say Elijah. Oh, and some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Now, he uses the plural form here, so Jesus is actually saying to his disciples as a group, who do you all say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answers for the group, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is the first time that we see Peter step up to be the spokesman for the disciples. The son of the living God, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. These are all translations of the same Greek word. The living God with a capital G. The true God, as opposed to those mute, impotent, downright dead idols. Ah, they finally get it. This is not just a formal statement of intellectual understanding on Peter's part. It is a statement of an intimate relationship between Jesus and God and between Jesus and his followers. This knowledge, this confidence came through a process. They have followed Jesus here, there, and everywhere. They've studied him and learned from him. They've lived with him and prayed with him. The disciples have also bonded with each other and with Jesus in his mission, his ministry, his identity. And still, Jesus tells us, they would not have this understanding except through a revelation from the Father in heaven. God gave his disciples this revelation so they could share the good news with those waiting to hear it. Nothing has changed with time. People still try to pin down who Jesus is without the obligation to become a believer. You know, philosophers revere Jesus as a great thinker. They quote him. Ethicists call him the great moral example. Liberal religionists say he's provided the model of how we should live. And atheists proclaim Jesus as the greatest among the sons of men. Rock stars have sung that Jesus Christ is the superstar. But in every case, the acclaim and pronouncements of these people is far below who Jesus really is. You can speak of Jesus as a prophet, a holy man, a teacher, a spiritual leader, and few will object. But speak of him as the son of God, and divine and just listen to the uproar. Well, let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Son of God, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, he's everything. Messiah, Jehovah, the Prince of Peace is he, Son of Man, Seed of Abraham, second person in the Trinity, yeah, I love that song. The words are powerful, and yet would they make sense to someone who never heard of Jesus? Messiah, Jehovah, Seed of Abraham, all very churchy names. So how could I describe Jesus to someone who's never heard of him? How would you describe Jesus to someone who's never heard of him before? To a child, to an adult, to a friend, to a stranger who happened to ask you about Jesus, what would you say? 
Hopefully, the discipleship training that we practice this summer will make it easier for you to answer these questions, easier for you to describe who Jesus is and who he is to you. And as we found out in our training, confessing Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is easier within the church walls than out there in the world. Would you be able to confess Jesus as the Messiah while eating burger and fries at Johnny's Bar and Grill or in the Plymouth pub? Could you do it in front of a strip tease bar, in your place of work, in the courthouse? Now, when I suggested joining the local Hispanic church in front of the courthouse at 5 a.m. on Sunday mornings, mid-September up through Halloween to pray for St. Helens to become more excited about Jesus than the town is about Halloween, I was laughed at. Well, what was the problem? Was it praying in public? Was it the put down on Halloween? Or was 5 a.m. one morning a week asking too much in order for our community to be on fire for the Messiah. How serious are we willing to be about sharing our faith before saying enough? How much is asking too much regarding standing up for the Lord? These are tough questions, but Jesus is asking us, who do you say I am? Who do you serve? How serious are you about this faith stuff? Do you live your faith? If so, do your actions confess Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Or do your actions testify only that he is a great man, an example to follow, someone to be inspired by? Is there a difference in your passion for the Lord in your prayers and hymns on Sunday morning and your life out there the rest of the week? Does your passion, your love for the Lord reflect in your relationships, in your bank account, your time, your commitments, your energy? These are the tough questions that I want you to be considering this summer. Now, I'm not trying to lay some sort of a guilt trip on you, but these are questions that every Christian needs to ask themselves frequently because they are part of being an effective disciple. When Peter answered correctly, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus told him that he would be blessed by that response as it showed a close relationship with the Holy Father in heaven. Jesus added, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The Greek word petros means rock, as does the name Peter. But the word used here for rock in the previous statement is petra, not petros. Peter's statement is demonstrating a faith that is now rock solid. And as such, he's ready for Jesus to use him 
for some serious service. The church will stand on Peter's statement, on our statement. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And as we studied in the book of Revelation, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the universal church. The church is preserved into eternity. Yes, Peter and the other apostles were the foundation stones on which the church would be built. All Christians, including you and me, are bricks added to the church structure. But Peter reminds us that Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is what holds it all together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This is one of the passages that tells us that all of us, just like Peter and Paul and Luther and the Pope and Bishop Selbo of the NALC, we are all part of the Holy Priesthood. This is why any of you can lead a prayer time or read aloud scripture during a worship service, preach a sermon, or serve communion to the homebound, even baptized in an emergency. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, By the grace God has called, God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Way back in Genesis chapter 49, starting at verse 22, we read about the tribe of Joseph being under attack. Verse 24 reads, But his bow remained steady, his strong arms stayed limber, because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock, of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Jesus' last statement in this passage is, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Traditionally, the property or house manager would possess the key to the master's gate or to the master's house. Therefore, the keys are a symbol of authority. To bind is to prohibit or to declare something unlawful. To loose is to permit. Now, the apostles had an extraordinary power given to them. 
Some things forbidden by the law of Moses were now allowed, such as the eating of certain meats. Some things allowed were now to be forbidden, such as divorce. The apostles and now all ministers are empowered to declare to this world to preach the gospel as appointed officers in God's name, to tell people what is good and what the Lord requires of them according to the scriptures. Christ ministers have a power to admit into the church those who profess, profess faith in Christ and obedience to him. And they have the power to keep those apparently unfit for so holy a communion. Jesus came to show us what is possible. Jesus healed. He showed compassion. He fed people who were hungry. He refused to be satisfied by the status quo. And he invites us to do the same. Jesus' resurrection shows that his love is more powerful than hate, fear, and even death. He shows us that God's love wins. That means for each of us to look at our whole lives through the lens of the possibilities laid out in Jesus, the rock and foundation of all that is good that we too would be strong bricks, strengthening the church built on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. Amen.